0: Welcome to the OPERATE Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate.
1: Welcome to the OPERATE Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by BankTech Ventures, the first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment. BTV identifies leading products and technologies for community banks, and we work with the founders and management teams to maximize impact for all community banks and their businesses. If you're a bank looking to innovate and invest in the future, or a founder who wants to work with community banks, reach out to BankTechVentures at BankTechVentures.com. Before we get into our conversation, which I know is going to be super fun, let me quickly introduce Bradley Lieber. He's a career innovator and I would say a bank and fintech champion. He's the co founder of Unconventional Ventures, a great name. Uh, He's an advisor at Gauss Ventures and ambassador at Invest Tokyo. We'll talk about some of those things today. He's also an author, podcast host, uh, and he also is always free to share his expertise in promoting innovation. Fintech innovation and and financial wellness as well. That's just a cursory introduction. Bradley, thank you for joining me today.
0: Well, you are welcome and 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 I'm going to correct you on the last name and and it's totally fine because uh, it's Limer. and everybody does it. and and what i what I really love is that the the first time I ever heard somebody say Limer or something, I was like, oh, I'm so French. It's so awesome. But uh, yeah, I you know, and and I'm surprised that you and I haven't known each other for like a decade, like so many other people in the space. Uh, but we finally did get a chance to meet. And uh, I, I had said earlier when we started talking that I think we've been fast friends and now we're gonna know each other for the rest of our lives because I think right. we are so simpatico, man. But absolutely thanks for having me Well
1: on. and and you mentioned it, you know, we had that chance to be on a panel recently at Finovate, and we were talking on that about community banks and credit unions and how they can better embrace change and, and really compete in this increasingly digital world. So I feel like that's probably the best place to, to jump off. That was a fun discussion. But let me, let me give you a, a proposition. Let's say you are running a community bank today. What are the first couple of things that you would likely do?
0: Yeah, you know, I, my my background's in technology and marketing and sort of I I, I really hold on to branding and, and marketing and positioning and business model stuff um, really tightly. Because I think one of the things, you know, if I were to come in as a, as a bank CEO of, you know, Community Bank X or Community Credit Union Y is really to understand what community means again. You know, I think a lot of, of the challenges that community institutions have had over the last couple of decades is that they forgot you know that that they're serving this community, mm-hmm. whether it's sort of a defined area or whether it's a defined you know employee group or you know what kind of kind of community group or groups that you're serving, in order to compete with big banks, you know primarily. so so you know we'll talk about that. But the first thing that I would do is understand you know what that community means. And top to mm-hmm. bottom, regardless of the size of the organization, get people behind this idea of serving that community well, Mm. understanding what that means. And, you know, that, that alone, you know, that exercise of sort of redefining the brand toward the community is the first thing that I would do. Mm.
1: Great. And I think that probably also, let's say, uh, involves culture, right. And adapting culture, you know, I, I think if you if you go to the four walls or the the writings of most banks, they're going to talk about community. They're going to talk about customers. they I think they they think they're oriented. and the the reality is probably that their customers are changing. They're adapting rapidly. and the banks maybe just aren't as a culture, a culture of innovation and adaptation. So, what, how, how do you think about that?
0: Well, you know, so, so in my career, and, and this is kind of like, you know, the, the quick Bradley 101, um, I have been on the technology side mm-hmm. of working with banks mm-hmm. as a partner uh, and building data analytics and trying to understand how to target customers and members and such. I've been inside both a community credit union that was less than 50 employees, mm-hmm. just a couple hundred million in assets serving a medical focused employee group here in California. And then I was part of a community now regional institution that was a hundred and some odd years old, kind of like mm-hmm. the bank that you had kind of grown up in. And when I think about, you know, the culture of both that community credit union and the community bank that I was a part of, you can actually have those conversations with the entire team about what we were doing, what mm-hmm. we were building. And I, I think two things happen when you when you get into larger institutions. You sort of um bifurcate the people that are working with the customers and even in a huge credit union, mm-hmm. the members. Mm-hmm. And you take apart the role so much and specialize that you you kind of forget who you're serving and why. Mm-hmm. and And the culture piece of that, you know, you could look at a bank like American Express, or you could look at, you know, um, a large issuer uh, or a large financial institution of any any size and kind. And the larger they are, the culture piece is more sort of um, removed from the day-to-day interactions that you mm-hmm. have in your job with what the customer needs are. And so, you know, it's It's one thing to say that if you're a community institution that you have to compete with you know what chase is doing in terms of technology stack and what have you i I, I always say that you know it, it's not the technology always you have to you have to there's a certain base <clears throat> level. and I think that's what the panel talked about a lot. You know we had in that panel, you and I, you know from sort of this banking and venture and and all the rest background, and we had a a startup that focused on helping community institutions with loans and some other things. and then you had And if I asked person that was part of the venture center and all the rest, and what we talked about was this need to have sort of this base level technology, but then understand how the business model is evolving and how community institutions can be closer to its customers. Well, the culture piece of why we serve and who we serve is something that you need to reiterate in almost everything that you do. Mm -hmm. You know, you start out conversations from almost every perspective with what does the customer want and how are we adding value and mean it. And then drive those directives and you know all the KPIs and everything else toward that goal. Uh, and that's what I, you know, in the community credit union, especially with a small group, every single week I had that story. Mm-hmm. And every single week we brought the the voice of the member into what mm-hmm. we were doing. And I think that's what you know you you don't get to experience when you have a larger organization of any kind in any industry. You just you kind of forget. And you know, whether you're a, a manager at Walmart. You know, and and you're in charge of the store. While you have to care about the revenue and you have to care about, you know, all the different ways that you could lose and make money, you still have to understand the needs of the customer coming through the door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a formula about how to make money, but there's not a, you know, there's also a formula about how to make customers happy. Mm. So culture starts that.
1: Do you think that? Getting becoming expert in your customer's business is something that maybe they need to invest more in?
0: That's a good question. You know, So, so when I was at um, the regional bank, this is Mechanics Bank in California, a lot of what we did was around centers of influence, right? Mm-hmm. So we got close to the accountants and the lawyers and the mm-hmm. you know, different sort of levels of people sure. that help businesses in order to learn more about what the businesses need. And to get to know, you know, more businesses in the community. But what was really cool was that, you know, they focused on, you know, agricultural loans and sort of that business in the winemaking areas of Northern California. And they focused on, you know, some of the construction um, that was happening in the Bay Area with some very large clients, et cetera. And I think you do have to have these sort of verticals within a traditional bank, especially that really understand, you know, what businesses are needing and and what those businesses do and it it was great to be able to be close to corporate bankers, and corporate lenders, and people that were serving the needs of these companies because they would go and they would go to construction sites and they would you know really understand what the working capital needs were of these mm-hmm. businesses. And it, it it also you know works the same way with consumers. You know, because I always I always say that where the 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 businesses and large corporates, regardless of size, you know they have capital needs. they have you know all sorts of different sort of money transfer needs that the average individual doesn't have. But it rolls back and forth. Mm-hmm. So the needs of you know being able to save, invest, you know, and get credit from a consumer level is not theoretically any different than the complex needs of raising capital, investing capital, and moving money of a large, you know, multi-regional conglomerate. Sure, It's it's just, you know, that's what we're in the business of in banking. We move money, we save money, we help people invest, we get returns, et cetera. And you have to understand that something that, you know, acts as like, you know, that whole butterfly effect on the consumer side, how we shop, what happened during the pandemic, how our work has changed, how technology influences our lives. If as a as a business model, you know, banking at the highest of levels, in the most complex of levels, doesn't understand that the way the consumer changes, the way that our lives individually have changed, that has a ripple effect upward, mm-hmm. all the way up to how revenues are going to be created with any single type of business client. And I think that's what's always interesting about technology and innovation is that it all interplays. Mm-hmm. It's this huge complex thing that you know, humanity has sort of evolved around technology, but technology has evolved around human behavior. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's super. And I mean, the funny thing, you, you, you know, as you really start to think about that is you have people doing consumer financial activities in their personal life, and then they go into the business that they're involved with at, at any number of levels, and they're doing business financial activities, and they're not nearly as dissimilar as many think, as you said, that consumerization of technology that we've, we, you and I have probably spent more time thinking about than many people has also infiltrated the enterprise and created a higher expectation and higher bar. And it goes both directions from business down from consumer up. And, and uh, in many cases, people try to separate that probably too intentionally.
0: Yeah. And, you know, think about, you know, your your experience, you know, working with bank clients and working on the fintech side and some of the things that, you know, you've done over the years to have offerings in the space. We went from, you know, 2007 with the launch of the iPhone, where phones became these, mm-hmm. you know, sort of mini computers that everybody walked around with. And as that evolved, the need to bring your own device into the, the workspace, the way that cloud computing went from personal cloud mm-hmm. to business cloud to, you know, the way that we do business now, especially post pandemic, uh, the consumerization of business technology and the implications of it for business models has been extraordinary to watch the last 15 Mm -hmm. years, you know, where we used to be afraid uh, on the banking side of anything cloud, anything off-prem, you know, (laughs) anything that had a whiff of some server or application we couldn't control. Um, to this point, where everything has been integrated, there's layers of security, there's layers mm-hmm. layers of data rights and what have you, and, and good structure around our ability to work anywhere, which has been phenomenal to really watch.
1: Great segue. What you, you, one of your key mantras is this idea of making banking better, and you, you've written and spoken about it, and you know it's sort of I, I feel like somewhat definitional to to you you know I, i'm i'm the ceo of a bank and i'm trying to really embrace that term w- where do you where do you orient me to focus
0: yeah i mean i i think it's important because you know i kind of grew up on the data side of banking mm-hmm. to understand what what people what people are all about and 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 how you know large data sets really are telling but the stories of individuals are what you need to sort of grab onto And so I've always sort of been understanding, you know, what's happening in our communities around the way people make money, you know, how sort of these inequities have been structurally, Mm -hmm. you know, compounded over hundreds of years, how different parts of our community are hurting that haven't been targeted because these are not profit centers for most Mm -hmm. type of banks. And so when I say make banking better, it's about making better more, making banking better for more people, Mm. And and by shining a light on more parts of our community, which is why mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating that you know you're seeing now neo banks springing up for you know LGBTQ African Americans, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, people that are traditionally um, sort of lumped together in mass market sort of vehicles. I mean, we have banks for musicians now. We have you know so so yeah. when I look at all of these different types of ways that banking can be applied to a community that's what's fascinating is that you know we we've gone from this place where we're going to have you know that 80 20 rule where we're going to serve everybody we can and then 20% or so are going to be profitable well if we if we step back and say there's there's really no part of of a banking community that couldn't be more profitable if we actually paid more attention to those needs you know there, there's nothing to say you know in in our demographics in this country and other places that People that are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s don't need credit. Mm-hmm. Or that people that are in their 20s, you know, we used to think, oh, they don't have extra money to invest. Well, this crypto, you know, explosion over the last mm-hmm. several years has shown us that they have. And so there's there's never a, a stoned unturn. There's never a part of the community you can't serve better. It's all about focus and it's all about really saying this is this is the line in the sand that we're going to draw about how we're going to serve a particular community. And the, the, the challenge, I think, going forward with sort of this new digital world is that you can serve what used to be considered niches that aren't in any way, shape or form niches or deserve to be treated like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of what I've always sort of collected, you know, in terms of the startups and companies that I've worked with that I've really appreciated went into what we wrote in the book, Beyond Good, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit more, but making banking better is applying a fairness Mm. sort of equilibrium to the people that we're able to serve. And I always say the privilege to serve because Mm. I think people have choices and Mm -hmm. we have to recognize that regardless of what size of a financial institution or startup that we have, we are privileged to serve these individuals as our consumers, as our customers, as our members. So, uh, you know, I think everybody is trying to do a good job but I think we need to look at a bigger picture about how we can actually improve society through financial services. And mm-hmm. I absolutely think that there's plenty of examples of doing that.
1: Oh, sure. And and I would say a lot more to do, right? I mean, to your to your point earlier, you're talking about this idea I, I call it redefining community that you know, geography was just the easy one, backwards looking, but I mean, yeah. in a in a world of digital now, that's just one potential lens to look through. But you mentioned some, you know, more identity based. But these true community focused, which could be defined in a lot of different ways, should make it better for more people. And I think yeah. we're seeing early evidence. But I think we'll see a lot more narrow banded uh, offerings that are more spe- hyper specialized for those groups that that. This particular group exists to serve better than everybody else,
0: yeah. I mean, you know we we historically, you know, on the banking side, especially since I've been on both sides, um, you know, there there were instances of redlining over decades before mm-hmm. there were instances of really serving just parts of the community because, you know, this is what the makeup of this country was. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how society has changed to the point where they recognize these things finally. And, and, and now we're you know, having to be concerned with digital redlining and biases mm-hmm. and ways that applications are not treating people equally because of where people live or how much income they have or how much profitability they have and what have you. And I, I'm really, really super excited about the fact that there are you know, banking as a service and embedded finance applications that are truly delivering not just access, but a better viability for banking services to serve the needs of all people. Mm-hmm. And and you know, we started the book about, you know, food, water and shelter and basic needs. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the history of financial access and you look at what's happened over the, you know, the course of the last 10 to 15 years especially, you know, there's still 1.7 billion people that are completely unbanked, but that's 600 million less that were unbanked just a decade ago. Mm-hmm. A lot of that growth of course has been in in China and in East Asia and you know, throughout Indonesia and places like that. But we still have entire continents like Africa that are under leveraged in terms of people's access. But M-Pesa and, and other things have changed that with micro credits, with micro investing, micro loans. And it's one thing to offer a product that, you know, is is going to make millions of people have access. But I still think that there's so much room to grow in terms of optimization. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, there, there's so much that we can talk about. So, let's get let's get into
1: it. Oh, I'd love it. Well, let's let's do a quick prediction. So, right now, there are about five thousand community banks, five thousand credit unions, uh, in in the U.S. Ten years from now, how many of those are still in existence? In your mind,
0: that is tough. I mean, I used to look at this every year because I used to do a presentation. I think about uh, fifteen years ago or so and every year i watched that number go down by at Mm -hmm. least you know five to eight hundred it seemed and and i was really surprised during during the the recession uh you know in 2008 plus that there weren't thousands honestly that that shuttered i mean there were plenty Mm -hmm. there were hundreds Mm -hmm. and hundreds every year Mm -hmm. um i think we're at like 9600 total financial institutions Mm -hmm. and it's still dominated about 80 percent of assets are within you know the top 20 to 25 banks Mm -hmm. i think we're looking at you know dropping at least several thousand on each side and and people forget i think that long tail includes financial institutions that are 10 million in assets Mm -hmm. you know 100 million 200 million it used to be that people would say oh you're you're safe if you're a billion Mm -hmm. if you're a billion in assets you will be in business decades from now i don't think that's true anymore i think it's you know you could serve a community, do really well, be profitable, be viable, and be a hundred million or less in assets. I think that's absolutely possible and it will be the case in 10 years. There are so many, though, that are going to struggle because it's hard to keep your team. It's hard to get a new CEO to come in. And I think part of that is because we're not as open to change in the industry. And the consolidation that is going to continue is going to be a challenge for people because, you know, there's just so many communities that are going to just lose that financial anchor, yeah. which is why I never really, I mean, I guess I've understood it, but, you know, this this um, people people not wanting a postal-based bank option has never really made sense to me. And I get it from the banking side, it's competition to them, but to me, it's an access point. You know, Walmart has become that de facto post office in many communities for mm-hmm. financial services. Mm-hmm. So we need to really rethink the business model. How do we deploy and service? Not everything is always able to be digital. People still use cash, mm-hmm. plenty of cash. We still use too many checks in this you know country. We're the biggest user of checks around the world. So there's still a lot of things to solve for.
1: What do you think enables the ones that will survive and thrive to do it?
0: In your mind. Well, I think it's a commitment. You know, the the more we we've we've talked about this, but the more community focused, meaning, you know, you're part of the community. You're there with the businesses every single day. Mm -hmm. Your people understand the business needs of not just, you know, capital and everything else, but the individuals that make up that business. And that used to be what what relationships were. Relationship banking was I own a business and I do my banking at your your bank. I am personally having my finances in your bank. Mm-hmm. I have my investments through your, you know, banking guy that's sitting in your lobby. Um, we've lost that, you know, as as banking relationships has have been ripped apart. I, I created a, a an article that created a lot of conversation um, called the unbundling of banking in essence, and it was an American banker like almost a decade ago. And I still go back to that and I say this is what's happening. You know, mm-hmm. we're unbundling the relationship, but we did it on purpose for profit. You know, we did it for focus and efficiencies and everything else. But this affects everything. Mm-hmm. You know if, if you have a relationship with a large issuer on a credit card, you don't have your savings there, almost you know 9% of the time. If you have a mortgage now, it used to be that that would be your primary bank, mm-hmm. where you had your savings, you know where you had your investments potentially. That doesn't happen now. And, and people you know forget how much we used to actually have in savings. And how little so many people have in savings now and how that has changed in terms of the way we move money around the the way we keep money and um, when we look at numbers for all of our community meaning the entire country and we look at how little people have saved for retirement and how much people are using credit now much later in life we even see student debt continued into your 60s 70s and 80s you know these are these are things that we didn't have to deal with, and yet we have so many choices for financial services. Why aren't we solving this? Getting more people to build wealth, you know, and and have better lives financially. Mm.
1: So much, so much there to to delve into. Let's talk a little bit about this idea of the collaboration uh, collectivism. So we you know we started. Bank tech ventures to pull together you know I talk about this fact that I feel like independent community banks have adopted that moniker too literally and mm-hmm. that that their independence could actually undermine their ability to survive and thrive in the, in the years ahead. So we tried to bring this group together as a collective with the idea that we're better together and we, there's there's plenty out there there's plenty of opportunity out there that by working together, Collectively, they can move forward faster, transform better, invest in their their collective futures more effectively. That that was, and, and you know, we're, we're underway there, but, you know, what advice would you have as we're building that platform and that ecosystem? I, I'd welcome it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, what you're doing and, and what the Venture Center and ICBA and some others have always tried to do is get community institutions to understand that there are a lot of providers outside of their core Mm -hmm. that have the ability to sort of, you know, take the business model into extensions where they didn't really see that opportunity before, whether it's a revenue opportunity, whether it's efficiency or serving, you, you can't duplicate, you know, what $12 billion of what Chase spends every year on it Mm -hmm. does you can't have as many business lines and as many departments in a community institution to replicate what, you know, city or bank of America or Wells Fargo has. And so, so why try, you know, Mm -hmm. I I almost think that, that the circle, the wagons get really, really good at core. And then building out new business model extensions through partnerships is so incredibly important to community institutions. And so when I, when I was, sort of leading a lot of the, 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 the marketing and technology decisions within smaller institutions. I always like came back to the data and I said, look, this is an area, you know, that we're not even looking at at all. And this is a way that we can understand how consumers and businesses are changing the way that they're using financial services. We could be really good at this, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it might be. Um, I think embedded finance now allows any size of institution to partner With almost any type of business, Mm -hmm. and extend, you know, their banking license into other products and services that really can help people. And in some cases, they're not even financial services. Financial wellness has a lot Mm -hmm. to do with education, has a lot to do with, you know, now automating an understanding of what's happening to the flow of money. That you know is everything from how do I procure stuff for my business more efficiently, cheaply, you know, better. Especially yeah. during the last couple of years with all the supply chain challenges. There are ways to help your clients, customers, and members that can be done through unique relationships with some of these startups that are small enough that some of these larger institutions, like a chase, will never even, you know, unearth. Because to them, a startup that has 10 customers in the financial, you know, community institution size um, type of customers may not be interesting for someone that size or like a city Mm -hmm. to invest in or what have you, or my old shop at something there. And, and that's the key to me is, is doing something different. Because before you know it, you, you know, you have a competing mechanism that all of a sudden a hundred community institutions are using, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I look at um, like QNexus, who I've advised over the last 10 years. And, and, you know, they, they offer what's called, you know, a, a, um, a, a credit service that is preemptive, that allows you to, as, a, as a customer or a member of a financial institution to understand the six or seven different credit products that you're already approved for. And, and that solution, you know, when you're at a big bank and, and they're saying, well, you know, I'd like to offer seven or eight different credit products at one time perpetually to a customer or member. They say, well, why, you know, why would we do that? Because the, the card team you know, doesn't want to necessarily do that or the mortgage mm-hmm. team doesn't necessarily want to do that. But what you do is is you build transparency around a product like credit that is not consistent across the industry. And that's a differentiator for the hundreds of institutions that partner with QNexus in order to do that. And so there are ways you know, to, to differentiate your product and service set in a way that makes you more unique you know, mm-hmm. than a very large bank, and, and I think that's the lesson here, is that these type of consortiums allow for those types of solutions to be unearthed. And I think they're incredibly important for people to be engaged in that.
1: Great, great advice. Thank you. And a lot to, lot to think about and more to, more to discuss there, for sure. So let's talk about your work at Unconventional ventures. You've done a lot of work with that, uh, through that with banking institutions, credit unions, fintech startups. Is there anything you consistently see that these groups need help with?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's just that reinvention. You know, it's mm. it's the recommitment to the community that you serve and understanding, you know, who, who those needs are for. You know, I, I've worked with a lot of, of executives um, across the industry to kind of understand opportunities in new ways. And and some of the companies that, that I've worked with um, for several years on the startup side kind of have made me rethink things. Um, one of them is a company called Stuvo, which works with gig workers to understand how people make money and to help them optimize that. That's helped me talk to bank executives about having them understand a little bit more about people earn. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's it's one thing to say, well, you know, maybe a few people, you know, in my customer mix uh, are gig workers. Well, gig workers aren't people that just drive, you know, Mm -hmm. people now don't have one source of income. They have multiple sources Mm -hmm. of income in many ways. It could be a third of your entire base of customers for a chance.
1: Oh, it's only growing for sure.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, a gig doesn't mean it's short term either. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have a primary role, you know, that, that is your primary, you know, 80% of your income, but then you've got all these little sort of side hustles, which may not be hustles. They might Mm -hmm. be like, Every Monday from 7 to 10 p.m. I do this shift or on the weekends I do X, you know, whether it's driving or whether it's, you know, doing bookkeeping. And so, you know, just that one thing to understand how people earn and how that's changed Mm -hmm. is important for bank execs to think about. I've also like kind of made them sort of think about um, how businesses are being formed a little bit differently as well. And so, you know, I asked them, well, you know, what size of businesses can you effectively serve and how do you serve them and what type of products and services might they need? The formation of a business, even even today with Stripe and so many other companies helping you, you know, get a way to put a storefront up and, you know, all these Etsy and what have you. It's one thing to do that type of business and support that financial service type of application for those type of businesses. But it's another, like even setting up a consulting practice was difficult to mm-hmm. form a business that way. And so there's a lot of small business needs that aren't being met from the tax side of it, you know, the payroll and all the other things mm-hmm. that a bank could get involved in serving. And so, you know, the, the one thing, you know, that, that I started in in that four or five years ago was how do you look at, you know, the demographics also shifting where people are aging. Mm-hmm. We, we've gained 30 years of life over the last hundred years in terms of our expectation of how long our life will lead and the financial implication of that is significant not just from a retirement and mm-hmm. sort of losing the ability to have money in later years uh, because you haven't saved enough but your your credit needs are different you know your home your income all of these pieces are different the way that we are are looking at care and medical you know and those requirements are different insurance etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know my, my question often is How are we serving the needs of people that are over 50 rather than seeing that as a, you know, sort of lack of opportunity uh, because we think somehow that they're not going to be profitable, you know, because they're not taking credit. Well, that's not the way to look at this growing. It's the fastest growing demographic. That's right. For any financial institution. And that's where all face.
1: the money is. So let's be honest. Right now, that's that's where almost oh, but, but all it, the money it, is. Isn't is that the that challenge group.
0: though? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, we keep on hearing that the baby boomers are gonna like unload this two trillion dollars mm-hmm. of wealth to the next generation, but they just keep on living, which is great for them. But mm-hmm. you know, when, when I when I think about that, it's like, you know, why why do we think about people in terms of demographics and generations when we should think of that, you know, from a business perspective as needs. Mm-hmm. You know, why aren't we thinking about how to actually meet these needs? Uh, right. and, and, you know, we, we need to rethink things. We need to rethink things. And, and that's what part of the, the consulting practice was about, was learning and, you know, leading those kind of questions and going mm-hmm. to talk to the clients about that and saying, look, there's an opportunity here.
1: Super fun. So you've, you've been in this financial services industry for, for a while. What, what
0: actually drew you to it? Well, I kinda you know, I, I got into it by accident. I, I, I graduated out of UC Berkeley in what was it, the early nineties. And I came into, you know, a a dot com sort of explosion mm-hmm. uh, where I thought, you know, I'd end up working at the time at like a place like Yahoo or something. Mm-hmm. And and when I looked at all those tech companies kind of going up and down um, the peninsula here, it was like every week there was a new building and a new, you know, pets dot com kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um I, I ended up like graduating at the worst time because it had just, you know, had this like kind of mini explosion like it did in, in 2000 later. And I thought, yeah. So I started looking around and honestly, there were there were at least a dozen places that I could have gone into a role into and it was primarily marketing or data. And I ended up at this company um, called Benefit Consultants, which doesn't, I don't think in that iteration exist anymore. And it was an insurance and other type of product Mm. um, service company that worked with financial institutions. And so I worked with financial data for years. And I started out working in community bank and credit union data sets. And Mm. then I started working with the Bank of Americas and cities and JPMs and the rest. But what was interesting was the way that these institutions looked at their data, which was very telling to me. Mm -hmm. And so when when a financial institution... um, Back in the day, would give you a list of their customers in order to market and be part of their marketing schedule. A community institution would send you, in in, in some ways, um, they they could only print you a list and send you that to you. So way back in the day, before data reels and data transfers and all these instant things, uh, we had people keying in customer data or member data. And so I got into you know the 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 industry through the data uh, and through looking at it through the lens of these different financial institutions. And what was interesting about that, the difference was, you know, a large bank might give me 20 to 25 million records to play with. And I had to fit in their slot for their marketing schedule. And they just wanted us to to market to as few people as possible to make as much money as we can. And that's mm-hmm. how I built data models and learned about targeting. Mm-hmm. But the community institutions would say, I want you to market to every single one of these people. And if they drop off the list, you need to tell me why, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we would tell them, you know, it's, Hey, it's a duplicate or this, you know, didn't fall into a model. And they would say, no, 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 we're not going to model. We're going to give everybody the opportunity to take a product because we want to make sure that everybody is enabled for that different, different solution that you have. And that was really telling to me because Mm -hmm. it wasn't about profit. It wasn't about profit at all. It really wasn't. It was about this need to make sure that it was fair. Mm -hmm. That everybody had the opportunity to learn about this service because they were going to tell people in the branch, people on the phone, hey, you might get this letter just so you know what this is. And so that was, you know, that was really interesting. Um, But that's how I got into it was through the data side. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, I never thought I'd I'd work at a community institution. I never thought I'd end up, you know, at a global institution. And, um, you know, you never know where where your career goes.
1: That's right. So as as you think about the, you know, that we talked about reinvention and transformation, are there other industries that you still point to or pay attention to and say, we need to draw some inspiration from there, they're, they're farther along or they, they, they haven't maybe uh, gotten left behind. So a- any thoughts there?
0: Well, I, I kind of go back to traditional, um, you know, computing companies that, that, started out, you know, like an Apple. And I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I finished this book about sort of the reinvention of Apple post jobs and, mm. you know, the the lessons that large companies um, get as they grow. And I I think that, you know, the Apple, Google, Facebooks of the world are interesting to watch because there's a couple things going on there as the technology that they provide, especially in the phones and the computers and the sort of interlocked systems, um, as they get more personal, and these companies continue to grow bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. some, something has changed in the culture of of these companies, and and I I think has been lost. And and it's not so much you know it, it's kind of the opposite of what you asked. It's it's kind of like the what not to do. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity that I see lost here, as we leverage technology to make things more personalized and more sort of optimized toward a given goal. Um we can't let our teams lose the sight of what the the consumer or the customer's goal is in all mm-hmm. of this. And so if our business in financial services is to understand and help people with financial wellness and with personal ability to lead better financial lives, it's the same for these technology companies that are providing ways for us to use, you know, individual data for, you know, getting around, you know, via maps or understanding how to eat uh, at a new place, in you know, and in, in, in have new shopping experience and all the rest. It's so very customized. And yet, because these companies have gotten so big, just as banks have, we lose sight of the end goal of the individual. And so the lesson to me is that we should be very, very cognizant of how people are changing, how their habits are changing. And and while Steve, you know, jobs always said, I'm gonna to skate to where the puck is going. And and he helped sort of leverage that uh, in terms of the way we use technology today. We need to step back and get back to basics in the business of taking care of people's financial needs mm-hmm. and really break down, you know, food, water, and shelter, which is what we did in the book. And That's the most important thing to me is that we go back to first principles and how banking could be part of helping people lead better lives.
1: Very interesting. I guess one follow up there. Do you think in all things there is a size in which things should just not get bigger, whether it's banks, some of these technology companies that maybe they've grown beyond a reasonable size to to do as much as they possibly can have the impact and um you know do do we do we see these getting broken up as an example
0: well you know it's 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 been interesting the last you know five ten years with regulation around almost any industry and Mm -hmm. you know there have been calls to break up banks there have been calls to you know break up technology companies there's been calls to break up amazon you know because these these companies are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. and when when you when you look at, you know, the way society sort of works, you know, there, there's nothing that sort of isn't kind of broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing to me sometimes that society works as well as it does. So if we could be part of making things a little bit more equal, making things a little bit more attentive, you know, making things like opportunity, everything from, you know, who gets invested in, what kind of companies get invested in, mm-hmm. what kind of communities get invested in, just i the 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 biggest lesson that that I, I think I try to give to people is that step back and and see what your impact is. You know what what is your impact, you know on on the environment, on your community, on what you do for a living and how that helps people? Because I think every single role that we have in life, you know, from the the person that, you know, drives the truck that collects our trash to the person that makes decisions about, you know, how monetary policy is going to affect all of this, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Every single person has a role
1: mm-hmm.
0: to make society better.
1: And it all matters.
0: It all matters. Absolutely.
1: Final thing, Bradley, you know, congratulations first on the book. You've referenced it a couple of times, Beyond Good. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of quick summary from my perspective is I, I feel like, you know, you're calling business leaders to focus on this combination of, doing good through their businesses and the idea that they can do well through also uh, showing up and and behaving that way. How do you see banks and fintechs moving forward, really being more of a contributor of good uh, and not just focusing on doing well?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest lesson is that you can do good and do well at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, we learn from from companies like Patagonia outside of the space. We learn like, you know, from Tony Chocleone's, uh, you know, Chocolate Bar and, and how they give back to their producers and growers. We learn from so many different examples that we show in the book. Um, companies like Ant, Ant Group, right, and Financial mm-hmm. and their Ant Forest Initiative of replanting uh, trees by the millions based on activities that their users are doing there are ways in every single business model to give back to communities. And there are ways to do something in terms of gaining profit from a product or services that you have, regardless of what industry you're in, and giving back. And I think it's just that, you know, there's a certain percentage of profit that you can always figure out ways to give back to a community, whether that's give back in terms of rates, whether that's give back in terms of, contribution into a given community, you know, even, even things like, you know, a, a large corporate getting involved in something like what, um, C note or another company does with balance sheet work in the community. Mm -hmm. It's, it's this ability to sort of rethink how capital is deployed or rethink, you know, you know what I'm going to give my employees one day, you know, a month or one day, a quarter to go, talk to people about financial services and budgeting and stuff inside schools mm-hmm. or inside workplaces, whatever it might be. There are ways to give back. There are ways to improve a business model that allow you to take a portion of what you do and provide a portion back you know, to the communities that you serve. And for financial services, you know, in my mind, financial wellness and financial education, a lot of that can be automated. There's a lot of partners that can do that. You know, improve the efficiencies of a business for the business. I mean, there's so much there. there's so many opportunities. I've got a whole deck <laughs> about <laughs> all of these things that banks can be doing better and differently, and that's what I, I just continue to preach. You want to learn more about you know some of those examples? Yeah, go go get the book. It's you know beyond good is in Amazon and everywhere else, and you know just I I think the 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 people that we talk to in terms of writing that and the examples that they lead their lives um, is something that we could all take inspiration from.
1: Absolutely, some great stories, great examples there, and some really useful, actionable ideas. It, it I don't think to, I, I, you know, I'm going to sort of read read into it a little bit. I don't think you have to overthink some of these things. It's Really, just doing what is right in front of you and, and somewhat obvious, like like some of those things like financial health and financial wellness and education. Yeah, Bradley, thank you so much for taking the time for joining me for having this conversation. Uh, I think, as you sort of alluded to, I think we're gonna have many more from here. Uh, it's always fun to to chat with a fellow fintech geek. Uh, innovation nerd. I think we both probably would would be proudly uh, wearing those badges. Um, I'm glad we could finally do this. And I, I, to your point, I think it was long overdue, but thank you again for, for joining and uh, we'll talk soon.
0: Absolutely. And look forward to it. Thank you all.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.